We could have let y'all keep on going, I believe. That's wonderful. That's what we should do when we fear the Lord. We worship Him. We bow down. So glad that you're here as we worship today, and I'm so glad for these men who have um, been ordained to deacons and that their families have joined them. I know that's special and encouraging to them, so I appreciate you being here, friends and family, for this time. When I was a kid, a movie hit the big screens that captured um, the hearts of my friends and me. The film was called Big. Does anybody remember this film? It starred uh, Tom Hanks. Maybe you remember that scene of the FAO Schwartz and the walking piano and chopsticks on it. Or um, uh, you remember the, the boy and his friend, they had that down, down, baby, down by. There. It was kind of like this thing that they had that helped them know that it was them, you know. Anybody remember that? Only me? Okay. Well, the plot of the movie is this uh, 12-year-old kid is at a carnival uh, with some friends, and uh, there's a girl there, and he wants to impress this young lady. And so uh, they get in line for the Super Loops roller coaster, and uh, as they get to the front, he's feeling bigger and better, and then all of a sudden, he's turned away at the front of the line. The attendant says, you're too short, and he has to walk away. <laughs> well, you can imagine. He's absolutely humiliated, totally dejected. And uh, as he walks away, he passes by this fortune teller machine. I'm not endorsing these things. I'm just telling you what happened in the movie. And it's a Zoltar. And uh, so he takes a quarter and he throws it in the machine. And he says, I wish I was big. And then he kind of, I think, kicks it. And all of a sudden it starts blowing smoke and lighting up. And then a card pops out and it says, your wish has been granted. Well, he walks away and he looks and notices that the Zoltar machine had been unplugged the whole time. So, of course, he is totally weirded out. So, he goes home, he goes to sleep, and the next morning, that 12-year-old boy wakes up in bed as a grown man. His wish came true. Well, I think every kid can identify with wanting to be a grown-up at some point in their lives. I'm sure we could have some kids bear testimony to that. I know mine would. Dad, I wish we could just stay up as late as we want to and watch everything we want to. Dad, I wish we could just leave our rooms a mess and nobody care. I can't wait to be grown up so that my parents won't be breathing down my neck all the time. But I think every adult would tell every kid to stay as young, stay young as long as you can, because uh, growing up is not nearly as fun as it sounds. But growth is a natural part of life. We're made to grow. Now, it never takes place just because we wish to be big. Uh, that's not how it works. But time plus all those natural ingredients of water and nutrients and life and all those biological processes, and a person will physically grow. But growing intellectually or growing emotionally or relationally or spiritually, it takes some form of work. You have to invest in it if you really want to grow as a person. Um, adaptation, trial and error, tension. Um, and as much as we may long for growth, sometimes we're willing to settle for no growth because we don't really want to put the work in that's required if I need to grow. So I'll just kind of stay the way I am. Well, it is a dangerous thing for a church to be content not to grow. And I'm not speaking merely of numerical growth. I'm talking about growth in the sense of maturity with regards to development. And I would say many churches are content not to grow because we come, become comfortable uh, with the way things are. Um, there's no real vision for personal or corporate growth. So I'm fine the way I am, you know. I, I don't need spiritual, to be spiritually mature. 
Um, I'm making it just fine. And we come to church and we end up in our groups and we like it just us four and no more. That's, that's just fine, you know, the way it is. We don't need anybody else. You know, the church is right the way it is. We don't need to think about those outside the church. If they want to go to church, they can go somewhere else. But they're probably not going to go anyways. When we embrace that level of contentment in the church, we have misunderstood what the church is all about. For a couple of weeks now, we've been asking that question, what is the church all about? You know, what's it here for? What's, what's the purpose? Um, generally speaking, the church exists to advance God's kingdom. Just before he departed the earth and left his disciples, he ascended and ascended into heaven. Jesus proclaimed to his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So the question is, witnesses of what? Witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Witnesses to the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And he has opened the doors of his kingdom to you. You can enter in. And so it's witnesses for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom. Well, at First Baptist Church, we say we are a community of believers obeying the Redeemer's call to advance God's kingdom in our church, in our homes, in our community, and our world. We want to see the kingdom of God grow and move and advance and increase. So if that's what we're here for, then in 2023, what are we going to be all about? Two weeks ago, we said, first of all, we want to be a church all about belonging. We uh, endeavor to uh, present ourselves with attitude and words and emotions to declare to those who are on the outside, there is a place for you at First Baptist Church to say to one another, you fit here. And we do that, or we kind of cultivate or um, uh, momentum uh, with the one another statements of the New Testament by loving one another, uh, by uh, bearing one another's burdens, by uh, accepting one another, by confessing to and praying for one another, by forgiving one another. And we decided those one another statements are best done not on rows, but in circles and in small groups and in places where we can look people in the face. So we want to be a church all about belonging, where everybody fits, everybody has a place. The second thing we want to be is a church that's all about serving. Uh, we said last week, if we want to see God's kingdom advance, then everybody's got to see that they have a place to play. They have a role to play in the church. Church is not a spectator sport. Uh, we want to be a church where everybody steps out of the bleachers and onto the court. They step into the game. Now, this morning, I want us to consider for a few moments that in order to advance God's kingdom, we've got to be a church that is all about growing. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, Paul writes this letter, it's in his correspondence with the Corinthians, it reveals that this first century church at Corinth had some serious problems. They had a lot of challenges. And one of the first issues that Paul addresses in his letter is division in the church. Can you imagine that? Uh, we see a, a little bit of it in the text, and so I thought you should have the background of it. The Christians were dividing themselves by saying, um, over certain personalities. They were saying, well, I, I'm a follower of Paul's. I like the way he talks. I appreciate him the most. I think he gets it right all the time. I'm with him. And others were like, well, I'm a follower of Apollos, you know. He's much more eloquent, you know. And he comes up with those really good stories. I just identify with that a lot. And others would say, no, I'm a Cephas guy. I'm with Peter. I mean, he actually knew Jesus. He went fishing with him. He's a man's man. I'm with him, you know. And that's what happened inside of the church. And Paul's premise is that Christ can't be divided. So if the church is Christ's church, then nobody can be in the Paul camp. 
Nobody can be an, uh, an Apollos follower because we are all disciples of Jesus and he is not divided. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, that's the context for us. I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be in chapter 3 this morning. And uh, I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 13. I was going to read a little bit longer, but we're going to stop at verse 13. So 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 13. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants... And he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus." Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning. I'm so thankful to look out and to see these faces. And uh, Lord, we do just declare uh, with the song that our choir sang uh, that uh, we want to fear you, God. And in doing so, we're going to bow ourselves before you. We're going to receive truth from you. And Father, we want to adapt our lives to you and not ask you to adapt around us. So Father, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you motivate us to grow? Would you challenge us to live on mission with you? Father, would you be honored in this gathering? And would you point us all to the cross of Christ today? We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What we discover in 1 Corinthians 3 is that the church is like a field in need of cultivation. It's like a building in need of laborers. And the plan for the church is to grow. So there is a need for workers to labor in the field or to labor on the wall in constructing the building. And as God's fellow workers, this morning I want to talk to you. As we advance his kingdom, we want to be a church all about growing. That means, as members of his church, we're going to have to commit to growth. We cannot remain the way we are. We are going to mature in Christ, personal growth and corporate growth. So at Corinth, the church had begun to put certain people on pedestals, as we talked about. Uh, These were pedestals reserved for God. And they began to align with people, forgetting that God is the author and the perfecter of the faith. So they put people on pedestals rather than recognizing that God is the one who deserves the glory. Well, just over 140 years ago, the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, preached a sermon on this text in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And this is what he said. He said, let your mind be set upon the master and not upon the servants. We are to be reminded this morning that all of our plans are for naught unless God gives the growth. The growth comes from him. So the credit doesn't go to a strategy. It doesn't go to leaders or a laborer. It goes to God. And in that sermon, Spurgeon presents a three kind of part outline that I've uh, adapted a good bit uh, for us this morning. 
Uh, But in this outline, he puts all the emphasis on God, and I find that to be entirely appropriate. So as we declare that we want to be a church all about growing, let's consider together God's field, God's laborers, and then God's work. So we'll begin with God's field. Now, the key verse of the text, the one that needs to be underlined, is verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. Paul builds his uh, teaching on um, two metaphors, two illustrations, and they kind of get mixed here in verse 9. One way to look at the church is as a field. It is a garden. It's a farm. That's what he says. You are God's farm. Another way uh, to look at the church is as a building. It's a construction project. It's a temple. You are his house that he is constructing. That's kind of the uh, idea here. Now, I think that we all have a little bit of self-centeredness. And so whenever we open the text and we read, you are, I think, well, he's talking to me. Now, of course, he is. But he's speaking in a corporate way here. Paul is talking to the church, the local church. He is saying, church at Corinth, you are God's field. You are his farm. You are his building, his house he's constructing. And he's focusing on a local body. And in the context of the verses, of course, that's the church at Corinth. But I think the application is the same for First Baptist Church, Columbia. You are God's field. First Baptist, you are God's building. So that means if the church is God's farm, then God's the farmer. Okay? We're not the farmer. He is. If the church is God's building, then God is the builder. Uh, He's the proprietor. He's the one that owns the land. He's the one that's in charge of the construction. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the church as a family. And it is a family, but it is also a work in progress. And that's why these metaphors work so well, like a field that has to be cultivated or like a construction project that's got to be, um, uh, that's got to be constructed, okay? God's desire is to see growth in the church, and that happens individually. But it also happens corporately as we grow together. So a flourishing farm— or a soaring structure. Now, the verses following verse 9 really develop the idea of the building, okay? So, the verses preceding verse 9, it's about the farm. Now, it's about the building. And in verse 10, he speaks about his role there at the church at Corinth. So, Paul was the one who went on mission to Corinth. He's the one who brought them the message of Christ's coming. And so, he established the church there, and he says, I went as a laborer, and I laid the foundation. I was the founder of this church. And he says, now I've gone, and others have come in, and they're starting to build on it as well. So it is a project, something in the works. And then in verse 11, Paul describes the foundation of the church. Now, we all know that the foundation of any building is the most critical part of the structure, right? Uh, Because the foundation determines the size, it determines the shape, and um, if you don't get the foundation right, the rest of it, it doesn't matter how good it is, okay? You're going to have trouble if you can't get the foundation right. It's the key to stability. Uh, It's going to give the longevity. Well, Paul says the foundation for the church is Jesus Christ. There is no substitute for Jesus. You can't build, one person doesn't build their church on Jesus, and then another build their church on, you know, a verse of Scripture. So it's all on Jesus. And if Jesus is not the foundation of the church, then the church is not going to stand. Additionally, when you start to whittle away at the foundation, a building starts to lose its stability. It's the same thing in the church. That's why our theology is so important. What we believe about Jesus based on what the scriptures reveal. And so we ensure that we have the right thoughts about Jesus, the right um, um, beliefs, the right structure 
Um, so that the ministry, the teaching, the actions, and all the things that happen in the church align with the truths of Scripture, specifically about who Jesus is. It's critical because he's the foundation. Now, I would say to you, this is a real problem. It's a real problem in our culture. There are churches all around us that were built on the foundation of Jesus Christ that have started to whittle away from the foundation. They say, well, you know, the times have changed, so we've got to change. So these churches that are filled with so-called believers are having new revelations and changes of heart about the church's one foundation, Jesus. Rather than the way, they present, well, Jesus is a way. And so some, we used to say it was the way, it's a way now. And rather than being Lord, they present Jesus as just being very accommodating. Well, you know, I don't want to offend you. Rather than taking Jesus at face value as he is. And other churches are being built on personalities and being built on certain positions of faith. So let's be clear here. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just part of the church. He's the foundation of the church. So the church is like a field or it's like a building and Jesus is the foundation. And we must never forget it belongs to God. The establishment of the local church happened because of God's initiative. It was his idea. He came up with it. And he owns it. He owns the church. It is his church. In Psalm chapter 100, uh, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God made us. We belong to him. Even in our rebellion, we're his. How is that? Because he purchased us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a couple chapters over, the end of it, verse 20, it says, For you have been bought with a price. The only begotten Son laid down his life as the purchase price for the church. This is how Spurgeon describes it. He says, Every acre of God's farm cost the Savior bloody sweat, yea, the blood of his heart. He loved us and gave himself for us. That's the price he paid. And when he purchased the farm, he changed the soil. Because without Christ, we were dead. And we were putting forth, you know, nothing productive. But he comes in and he tills the soil. He waters it. He enriches it with nutrients. He makes sure that it can push up all manner of flowers and uh, fruit trees. It's a productive soil. That's what Jesus has done whenever he bought the farm. And then he protects the land. He's the hedge around it. He hems it in. He, he gives boundaries to the church. So we are his field. And God's expectation is that the field will bear a harvest. That there will be a harvest in the church. God left us with responsibility. And our responsibility is to sow the seed. We're to work the land. We're to reap the harvest. That's how he designed it to be. And you read on in this text and you find out he's coming back to inspect it. He's interested on what that field looks like. He's concerned about the stability and the structure of the church and the ways that it has grown. We should endeavor to see every believer mature in Christ. That's how it's designed to be. That's what the church is for. Now, what I want to make clear to you this morning is that the church doesn't belong to any of us. The church belongs to God. And what this means for us is that as members of the church, we've got to yield to the Lord's leadership. Now, we all have preferences. 
But this is God's church. So we better build the church the way he wants us to. We better organize it the way he says it's to be organized, not just how we want it to be. And we ought to yield as leadership. We ought to put our yes on the table. God, however you want me to serve in the field, however you want me or whatever you want me to do in this construction project, I'm in. You just point and I'll go and I'll do because the church is his and I belong to him. And so I should live like that. Second, we got to build on the right foundation. There's no need for us uh, to build a church around um, people. There's no reason for us to build a church around an idea. It is to be centered on Jesus and nothing else. Christ and him crucified. That's our conviction. Finally, we must live with the expectation that God will come and he'll inspect it. He's going to inspect the church. He's going to inspect the structure. He's going to look at the harvest. He gave us a command. We don't just get the luxury of, luxury of coming and saying, well, I'm fine. He gave us a command. He told us to go and to tell. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. We must go in every way he sends. So the church is the field or the building. God's the farmer. He's the architect. But he doesn't cut us out. We are his laborers. So let's look at God's laborers here. Now, the key verse, the very beginning of it, verse 9, the one you should have underlined in your mind or on the page, says, we are God's fellow workers. So we're his worker. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because, you know, it would be easy to say, okay, this is God's church. I mean, does he really need us? And, you know, that's a difficult question to ask. He, He is not in need of us, right? But you think, does he really need me to contribute? I mean, if he wants to accomplish something, can he not do it on his own? So, I mean, what, what, what am I supposed to contribute anyways? I mean, we'll just let God do with it. I want to, in order to illustrate my point here, I, I want to focus your attention on the Lord's Prayer. Y'all all are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. The words say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what is the next line of that? Y'all say it with me. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, let me stop there. We pray for daily bread. And how does God deliver daily bread? I mean, there was a time whenever the Hebrews had uh, left, fled from Egypt, and uh, they're wandering, and uh, their need is so great, and their ability to provide is so little, uh, that God sends daily bread by just, when they wake up in the morning, they find manna spread on the ground. So when we pray, God, give us daily bread, should we have an expectation we're going to walk outside and just find loaves of bread lying around the yard, Right? Uh, Is that what we should expect? Well, no, we shouldn't, because that's not God's typical program for providing for our needs. God's general program for providing daily bread for us is through the sweat of our brow. That's his general program. Now, I know there are other circumstances, other ways God provides, but generally speaking, he expects us to work, and then he blesses the work, and in blessing the work, he provides the daily bread. In other words, God works in and through us to accomplish his good purposes. So we're not mere spectators in the church who just says, well, he'll take care of it all. What does he need from me anyways? We are humble field hands in God's farm. I know some of us walked in here with egos. We are field hands in God's field. So God could send his angels to plow. He could send them to do the plumbing work. He could visit himself and take care of all of it, but he chooses to use you and me to do his good work. The Lord's command to his followers was not, sit back and watch me convert the nations. What do you say? Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations. Tell everybody. Go to the ends of the earth. Tell them who I am. Tell them that I've come. Give them the good news. That's what he said. He never said, I'll take care of it. Y'all just sit back. The opportunity of service is not what's lacking. What's lacking? Jesus told his followers in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God has commissioned us to labor in the field, to work on his building. There's a great need for laborers. The work to be done is not busy work. It's needful work, and it's specialized work. Remember, Paul says he planted, and then he said Apollos watered. So we all have different things we can contribute. Some can be the encourager. Some can be the helper. Some demonstrate the faith in their prayers they pray. Uh, some are the teachers. Some are the preachers. So there's different things that we're able to do, and there's different things to be done. Some plant, you know, prepare the soil. Some plant the seeds. Some water it. Some pull the weeds. Some get to reap the harvest. We all have a job to do. And we have the same purpose. Verse 8 says, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're one. In other words, we have the same purpose. We recognize we've all been sent to do the same thing. It's to build the kingdom. It's just we're doing different things in order to accomplish that. So I'm just faithful to what God has called me to do, and I'm going to trust him for the outcome. Now, in verse 12, just real quickly, he does point out that there's different building materials. And you got to be careful how you build. He talks about gold, silver, precious stones. And then he says there's wood, hay, and straw. Now, the point is there's sound doctrine. There's worthy motives. There's faithful service. That's, that's what these first things are, the gold, silver, and precious stones. And then he says there's false doctrine. And there's unworthy motives. And there's, you know, half-hearted service. And that's going to be revealed in the end. It will be obvious. God's going to test our service to him as a church. He's going to determine whether we have been playing games. Just getting fat on the word of God. Not putting it to work. Not using our spiritual muscles to advance his kingdom. So as God's workers in this field and on the wall, we must be committed to growth. Now, I've been speaking in theoretical terms because of these metaphors here. And I, I want you to understand what I mean when I say, so Wes, what are we supposed to do? In, in what ways are we supposed to grow? I think there's three commitments we ought to make to growth. As believers in Christ and members of his church, first of all, I want to encourage you to, pers- uh, towards, to commit to personal growth. Commit to personal growth. There's all kinds of metrics we use to measure ourselves vocationally, um, educationally, uh, mentally, um, uh, uh, physically. But what about spiritually? Do you ever kind of set goals for yourself spiritually? Do you measure how you're doing? Do you look back and say, well, I was here when I started and now I'm there? I'm sure if you're like me, sometimes you wake up and you say, I feel like I haven't even gotten any better with this temptation or with this issue, you know? So am I growing? Well, I want to encourage you to consider a personal spiritual growth plan. Now, first of all, I believe that begins by you yielding to the Spirit because we can do a lot of stuff and it'll really produce nothing because it is God who is at work in us that produces the growth, right? So I yield to the Spirit in me. If I'm a believer in Christ, I have the presence of the Spirit. He's the one who's working out that salvation within me. And so I yield to the Spirit in every interaction, in a situation. How should I think about this? How should I address this? What should I do with this? I yield to the Spirit. And then second thing I do is I put some of those spiritual disciplines into practice, like habits for reading God's Word, 
for uh, the intake of the truths of God's Word, by spending time in prayer, through um, uh, moments of confession, uh, through the uh, practices of uh, service. All these things helps me to mature to become more like Christ, as long as that's why I'm doing it. I'm not just doing it to check a box. I'm doing it for spiritual growth. All those things will help me to mature in the faith. So this year, what's your plan? How are you going to grow as a Christian? I would say it's great to start with spending time in his word and in prayer. But you've got to be yielded to the spirit before you do any of that. Second, as believers in Christ and members of this church, I want to encourage you to commit to kingdom growth. Every one of us has the responsibility to live on mission. I need to know how to share my faith. I need to know how to tell somebody else what Christ has done in my life. I need to know how to tell someone how they too can trust in Jesus. And some of you may feel ill-equipped for that. Good news, Todd and I are going to be leading a seminar on this coming up in March. Several weeks on uh, how to share my faith. And if you have concerns about that, you ought to be there. Or maybe you just need to be energized to go and do it. I would hope you would come. But I also have the responsibility to make sure that the gospel makes it around the world. I may not be able to do that in my own, but I can pray towards that end. I can give towards that end. And there are places where I can even go to accomplish that. So I'm committed to personal growth. I'm committed to kingdom growth. And third thing, I'm committed to help others grow. We're not here just by ourselves all alone. We are here to pour into others, to serve one another. Um, A lot of times what we do is get together and we just kind of hear what's going on in each other's lives, but we never push one another towards spiritual growth. I want to encourage you uh, to see yourself not just as a disciple of Jesus, but a disciple who is making disciples. Philip Turner has incredible material to help you grow to become a disciple who is making disciples. That's what we're all about. I believe that every disciple at First Baptist Church ought to be making disciples. So I'm committed not only to personal growth and to kingdom growth, but also to helping others grow. So we're God workers, uh, God's workers. Our place of service is God's field on his property, but I don't labor alone. The scripture says that we are workers with God. That's what it says there in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. So let's look at God's work here. Remember he said here that neither the one who plants, in verse 7, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. If anything good happens, it's because of God. Whenever you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, that's not just because I worked harder to be joyful. It's because the Spirit started pushing it out of my life. I'm not joyful on my own. That's a fruit of Him in my life. I'm not peace at peace with others. I'm not patient with others because I'm just so good at doing those things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So He's the one who causes the growth. He's the one who gives the increase. I'm just responsible to be faithful to labor according to His precepts, and I trust Him for outcomes. Growth really is not up to me. It's up to him. I'm just to be faithful at what he's called me to do. I'm supposed to commit to growth and then allow him to produce it in me and through me. When we recognize that God is the great worker, it'll provide unity in the church. When it, I see God as the great worker, it'll lead me to my knees because I recognize he's the one I've got to ask for growth. And as I see God as the great worker, I'll be reminded of his presence with me. He is with us. So God's the emphasis in 1 Corinthians 3. We are reminded that the church is God's field, his building. We are his laborers, and the fruit and the growth is all from him. 
Now, as you consider growth in your own life, I would admonish you, just like the Scripture says, be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. On what foundation are you building your life? Is it on Jesus? Now, I'm going to tell you, this world will not push you to build your life on Jesus. There are plenty of other things that it will push you to build your life upon. Are you building your life on Jesus? Let me tell you how that begins. It begins with you realizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And then believing that Jesus died so that you could have your sins forgiven. And then receiving him into your life so that you can follow him as his disciple. Have you built your life on Jesus? If not, I would encourage you to do so today. As plots of land in God's garden, let's commit to growth. Let's see ourselves as living stones being fitted together for God's service in this house that he's picked out for himself. Heavenly Father, we uh, do confess we're trying to do it on our own. And a lot of times we're just being lazy for the kingdom. But now, Father, as you've, we've heard your word, would you do this work in us to help us to live, to see your kingdom advance as we commit ourselves to growth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As our choir sings, I'm going to be down front. If you've got a need you'd like to pray about or you've got a decision you want to make, you respond. If God's speaking to your heart today, right now where you are, you say yes to him.